welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. The Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah is the climax of Part 2, which covers the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, rejoicing in a King who will reign forever and ever. Lead teacher Randy Pope brings us this Easter Sunday message entitled Clashing Kingdoms, One More Move, which covers Revelation chapter 12 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 to 21. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. You know, as good as all of that singing has been, the best part is now. Not now, let me just say coming from now on. The best part's coming now. And I can say that with confidence because we're going to sing two more songs. So <laughs> you're going you're gonna to get more of that, I will assure you. I will assure you. Let's pray together, if you will. Let's pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can, we can sing hail to you the king. And you truly are the king. And we thank you for the celebrating of this great occasion called Easter. And we pray for every one of us that are here that this might be a a time where those of us as believers will be able to to just sense the reality that since you've risen, why wouldn't we follow you with everything we have? And for those of us that are seekers trying to just understand the Christian faith, here exploring that the what if would consume us. To imagine what if you did rise from that dead? What if you rose from the grave? And I pray, Father, that that would be consuming to our thinking this day, that we might even meet you and see your great love. So bless this time we ask it in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. If you simplify the biblical story, you really can boil it down to the story of two kings and two kingdoms. The, the first king would be the king we know of as Jesus himself, King Jesus. The second king would be known as Satan. You have kingdoms that they reign over. One is called the kingdom of this world. That would be Satan's kingdom. And then that which is called the kingdom of God obviously God's kingdom I think the first thing with people that are coming amongst us week in and week out and particularly I'm sure on Easter who are are really not real sure of the Christian faith not even knowing where we stand on the whole issue and so forth but when we hear the word Satan we have to be a little bit pushed back to say really you you really really believe there is some uh, a real being called Satan that exists somewhere that does all these things You, you really believe that And let me just say, I do. I would understand perhaps why some of you may not. But I'll tell you this, the further you go into the third world, the more you believe in it. Not because, oh, there are people who who aren't as educated. No, no. The experiences that they see every day. Perhaps a little different than we see, but it's just as real. In fact, I can tell you from my own experiences in this country, I can tell you that if I were to share the stories that I have personally observed, been a part of, and so forth, if I were to tell you those stories, you would be left with only two options, I'm convinced. You would either be saying, 
there is truly a demonic world, there is a Satan, or Randy is simply a bold-faced liar. I don't think you'd see anything in between. It would be one or the other. Now, I'm going to tell the story assuming the reality of two kingdoms, two kings. And it's clashing kingdoms. But if I were to give a title to this message, it would be one more move, one more move. You'll see what I'm talking about. If you were to see these two kingdoms as they are clashing, even up to the first, what we call Palm Sunday, the Sunday where Christ comes on a donkey and all the people that are his followers are celebrating, they're, they're at least they're, they're singing and shouting, Hosanna on the highest, and, and, and they keep talking about these words, kingdom, blessed kingdom. Blessed is the coming kingdom of Christ. That's what, that's what this Palm Sunday, this last week, was all about. It's simply the announcing that this kingdom that Christ reigns over, this kingdom is coming. They believed it with all their hearts. So you've, you look at your outline, you've put it up here, but you've got it in your bulletin as well. But I, I want to read the first of three major teachings that I think is important for us to see on this day. The first would simply be this. Easter Sunday is the celebrating of the coming kingdom. Palm Sunday was the announcing of it. Uh, this is the celebrating of it. But here's the oddity of it. If you were to see what's taking place on that Palm Sunday, the first Palm Sunday, and you knew anything about the two kingdoms, you would have to be thinking outside exceptional few that were, that were marginalized and, and who believed it with all their heart. But what you would see is you would see a kingdom known as the kingdom of God and say, I'm not sure the kingdom of God is going to win in this clashing kingdom battle. I really don't know. Hard to tell right now. Because if you look, what was happening is Satan, he had come to the place where now he had, and his troops had deceived all the nations of the world. That's what the story, the biblical story teaches us. Except one nation, Israel. They had eyes to see. They could understand, at least people within the nation of Israel. But all the others, people like us, Gentiles, who most of us here are Gentiles, blinded. They were deceived. Satan had that ability. He had a second ability, and that was he could approach the very throne before God. You know what he could do? He could accuse those that were claiming to be followers of Jehovah God and whom Jehovah God was saying, that is my child, that is my child, that is my child. And he could, he could bring accusation and say, uh-uh. No, I, I, I can tell you right now, there has been no redeemer because they are sinful people. And he could remind God himself, these people have sin not accounted for. And all God could say was, hey, I've given my promise. It will happen. I have claimed them as my own. So he would accuse, deceive. And so the world stands by and says, well, why wouldn't we believe? Why wouldn't we believe that this kingdom of the world is the ultimate kingdom? But things are about to change. Let's look at it from a heavenly perspective. Revelation 12, if you have your Bibles. I'm going to tell part of this. 
and I'm going to read part of it just for time's sake and clarity. But this is the heavenly perspective. Now what's happening is this, so you understand the text. Satan is orchestrating a plan to stop the kingdom of God from coming to this earth in its fullness. And so now we see Jesus in this holy week has been arrested. He has now been crucified. He is now declared dead. And so again, it seems like, uh-oh, this kingdom of God, it may not be happening. It may not be happening. But look at what we read in verses 1 through 7. In the first seven verses of this text, we have three characters. One is a woman. The second one is a male child. And the third is a dragon. It's telling a true story. It's just doing it in a way that we can picture it and see it. The woman is the church. The male child is Jesus. And the dragon is Satan. And we read in these seven verses that the woman, who is the church, gives birth to a male child who is Jesus. And as you continue reading down through those seven verses, you see that the dragon, who is Satan, is ready to devour the male child, Christ. Do even you that are, are not real Bible readers much, do, do you not remember perhaps the story of when Jesus was born and how Herod tried to have all the male born killed at that age because there was an understanding that somebody's been born that's claiming to be, that this little child will be the king. This is the very story that's being depicted in Revelation chapter 12. It would appear as if the kingdom of this world was going to win. Maybe here a point for a, a quick story. The story is told of a, of a man who was uh, hosting a guest in his hometown of Paris. And uh, his guest was an international uh, chess master. And so the man had invited his guest to go see the Louvre and all the beautiful paintings and so forth. And they were in their tour of the Louvre. As they get through one particular part, the guest comes to a stop and stares and would expect it to be so because it was a picture of a chess match. And the title of it was Checkmate. Here were two men sitting at a board. They're playing their game and on one man's face is this sight of, of total disgust. And you can just read what's happening. He realizes that he has, he has no move. The other face, the face of delight, as if to say, gotcha. Well, the man just kept peering and looking at it, looking at it, looking at it, and his, and his host said, uh, it's time we need to move along. If we're going to finish our tour, we need, to, we need to move along. And he didn't say a word. He just stared. He stared at that picture. Finally, his host said, uh, excuse me, but what's the problem? We need to move along. And without turning his head from the picture, he said, we have to see if the painter is still alive. What do you mean? Well, either, either they have to change the painting or they have to change the title. He says, what do you mean? He says, what they don't understand is the, the king has one more move. Let me tell you, folks, that's the story, the biblical story of Easter. It would appear the kingdom of this world is winning out. 
and it's the announcement and then the celebrating of the fact that the king has one more move. Now, as you continue on in that story, in the book of Revelation, this is what we see in verses 4 and 5. It reads like this. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And look what it says. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That's the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. That was the one more move. As a result, there's war in heaven. We read in verses 7 through 9. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. They were not strong enough. There was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Thrown down means defeated. It's the idea of him being stripped of the ability to deceive and the freedom to accuse the brethren. What it's saying is all authority has now been given to Christ, whereas before, not all authority was Christ's by the divine will of God. But nevertheless, all authority was not given to Christ. But now all of that changes. And we see in verses 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, now the salvation and the power and notice what it says, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. As a result, here's the story that we get to tell. Two great offers. Look at your outline, point number two. The first offer. The coming kingdom offers us a choice between two kingdoms. The first is called the kingdom of the world. We've been talking about it. Uh, our text read this way. Let's read, uh, I'm sorry, let's first of all read uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. It says, for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he, who, and he died for all, so that they who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So it brings up here in the, in the text, it's bringing up these, this kingdom concept again. And what he's saying is this, the kingdom of self, that's the kingdom of the world, and it says no longer living for themselves. That is the first great choice that now we have. We have two choices, but the, the choice of all choices is this. We can live for the kingdom of self. We can live for the kingdom of God. Obviously, the kingdom of God is going to be the right choice. But he says, now we do have an option. We can live for either as we choose. The kingdom of self. Now, don't be deceived. There are people living in the kingdom of self who appear to be some of the most gracious, humble Worthy people, people that we would look at and say, oh, they are so religious. 
Oh, they're so kind, they're so generous. But they're really still in the kingdom of self. You see, the kingdom of self are, it's filled with people who are in life pursuits that are what I call so what life pursuits. For instance, here's one so what life pursuit. To enjoy one's life. Just to enjoy one's life. The second would be to impress one's world. Just to be able to impress others. Folks, there are wonderful people. In fact, I would like to think that I was a pretty good person myself. But I was so trapped in the kingdom of self, not because I was doing such horrible things, not because I was so separated from religion, even the Christian religion, but because life just, the pursuit of life just seemed to be filled with, well, what can make my life better as far as I'm concerned? What could I do that would, would be impressive, that people would look at me and would respect me and admire me and think highly of me? Why? That is a great pursuit. It certainly appears to be. But I want to tell you, young people, particularly young people, please, beware. It is a bubble. And the bubble will pop. It is not what it appears to be. I've had experience after experience after experience. Personally, I've watched others time and time again who finally come to the reality and sometimes way too late. And they say it's a bubble. Don't buy into the kingdom of the world. I just moved to Atlanta, literally weeks in Atlanta. Carol and I had moved here. We, we, we didn't know a soul. We were trying to get to meet people. And in the midst of meeting folks, we encountered a, a, a couple that was brand new Christians, brand new. They had a they had a, a relationship with a very famous singer, a musician, songwriter, and singer, very famous. If I were to tell you the name, this was the lead singer, if I were to tell you the name, anybody my age, around my age, you, you, would, you would know the name, you'd know the singing group. And, and these new friends of mine said, hey, look, I would love for you to meet this man. You need to, he, he is in serious issues of life and trouble and so forth, and he needs help. And, and I said, can you get me with him? I don't think so. And I said, well, how am I going to get with him? I don't know. I said, okay. Is he singing locally anywhere? I said, yes, he is. And this was coming toward the end of his career, and now he was not doing just, you know, shows all over, but, but, but he had... He had this show that was going on in Atlanta. And uh, so I found out about it and I, I bought a ticket. Now it was not in an arena, it was at a huge bar. So I go in and I listen to this guy and his group and they sing. And I watch and they take a break and I go, how am I gonna ever meet this guy? And finally I noticed that at the break, he walked out a back door. So I said, well, I'll, I'll go out the back door too. So I go out the back door and I'm standing there and he walks out to the curbside and there is a woman in a car, obviously his wife. I'd heard they were having marital problems and they started a shouting match. It was mean. It was ugly. And she peeled off and he had his words to say and he turns around and he comes walking back to the door where I was standing. And he gets to me and I said, 
hi, I'm Randy. <laughs> and I said, I need your help. He said, you need my help for what? Well, I'm starting a church. I need you to help me. He said, do you know who I am? I said, oh, I know who you are. <laughs> well, you don't know much about me because church is not my thing. I said, I know. That's why I need your help. We're trying to reach people just like you. And I'd like for you to help me figure out how to do that. I don't know if he was in shock <laughs> or what. But within a, a minute or so, he hands me a card with his telephone number, writes his telephone number on it, and he hands me this card. He says, give me a call. And I did. He invites me to his home, a palatial home in North Atlanta. I go in this home, and there in his study, his office, his recording room, I don't know what it was. It was big, and it was covered with these gold records all over the room, pictures of famous people he's with, and we start talking. In the first few minutes of this talk, he's talking about how he's been able to experience this and that, and he's accomplished this, and he's accomplished that. It didn't take long, though. It didn't take long at all before he's sitting there with me and tears coming down his face. And he says this. He says, you saw the show the other night. Did I not look like the happiest man alive? I said, yeah, you look like you're having a good time. He said, Randy, you were looking at the most miserable man in this world. You talking about the kingdom of the world? More recently than that, I was on a flight to Brazil. And I got bumped up to business class. I was thrilled with that. I'm seated next to a man that's dressed, oh my goodness, a young guy. And, and it didn't take me long to realize the, the cabin was filled with his entourage. And he was apparently the, he was the kingpin because people come up to him, giving him, asking him, doing whatever, and we take off and I try to do a little bit of discussion and conversation and so forth and so on. He takes his nap, he wakes up and we get a little bit more discussion and so forth. And before long after he experienced what I did and what I, who I was and so forth, uh, he said, I don't do that God stuff. I don't do that God stuff. Okay. So we're talking and, and, and all of a sudden he started talking about how blessed he was he was the most blessed man alive and he came from riches to uh, from rags to riches and this great story next thing you know he says you see these earrings yeah diamond earrings he said hundred thousand dollars for these two earrings I said, wow <laughs> then he says hey look at this ring look at this ring and it was just loaded with diamonds all around he said hundred and fifty thousand dollars for this ring I said, man then he said, but here's my treasure. And he pulled open the pouch in front of him. And he pulls out a zipper bag and he opens it up and there's a watch. And it is just nothing but, I don't know how you wear it, nothing but diamonds. He said, $330,000 watch. Had I known that, I would have stolen it while he was asleep. <laughs> but anyway... So we start talking a little further, and I said, well, let me just ask you. I thought, I better stay away from religion. So I just said, hey, uh, tell me about, uh, you married? Have a family? He said, well, I, I don't have a wife, never been married, but I have four children from four different women. I said, how's that working out? <laughs> he said, not too good. And next thing you know, within 10 minutes, he's sharing his depression, 
that he's battling depression, the misery of his life, the heartache, the pain, the struggle. Folks, I'm telling you this, the kingdom of the world, it seems so attractive. It seems like if I can just get more of the kingdom of the world, if I can enjoy my life, if I can impress the world in which I live, if I can just, if I can just get more and more and more of that, I really have everything I need. Let me tell you, it's not true. The kingdom of the world is not what it's made out to be. But there's good news. Because of this war in heaven, there is another kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And this is how it reads. It says, to live for him who died and rose on their behalf. There's the other kingdom. It's made up of people who say, you know what? I'm living, I'm living for him who died for me so that I could have life. That's the other kingdom. Uh, and by the way, just so you don't get confused, you can't slip in and out of one kingdom or the other. You can live like you're in one kingdom or the other, but technically you're under the domain of one kingdom or you're the other kingdom. People say, well, how do you know which one you're in? And I put it this way, I say, just know this, if you're not pursuing the kingdom of God, if you're not living for him, at least seeking, that's your heart's passion, to live for him, then I would assume that I was in the kingdom of the world. There are just two kingdoms. Seeker, I'm telling you what, you should cash in all of your chips. Everything you got, cash it in to make sure you're in this kingdom. Now the third teaching, it explains why this is so much a better kingdom. It reads like this, the coming kingdom offers us a change in our lives. It's a change for better. Uh, two ways, number one, a change in who we are, first of all. A change in who we are. Here's the text, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It reads like this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means you've come into a relationship with him, then that person is a new creature the old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. A new creation. Now understand this. A new creation means that we have a new nature. You know, as a dog has a dog nature, a cat has a cat nature. We have a human nature. Well, that human nature is an old broken nature. And God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you a new creation because I'm going to give you a new nature and it's my Holy Spirit that will actually come and live within you and will change you from the inside out. He goes on to say, old things passed away. What do you mean old things? Well, old opinions and plans, desires, affections, old prejudices, habits, all kinds of things. And then it says new things have come. Like, what are you talking about? Well, a, a new view of truth, a new hatred for sin, new convictions, new feelings, new hope, new purpose. I, I tell you what. And particularly seekers, know this, there's something so rich there. It's a new life. It's a better life. It's a, it's a different kingdom. Go back to the two musicians. So I'm, I'm in the musician's study there. And I was able to say to him, not in these exact words, but this was the essence of what I said. I said, did you know that there's another kingdom than the one you're living in? And he looks at me with interest to say, no. Oh yeah, there's another kingdom. 
And, and, and it's, a, it's a far better kingdom. It's a scary kingdom because it's called the kingdom of God. But let me tell you, this is a God of love who loves you. Before we'd finished, he'd said, I would love to meet with you for four or five weeks. I'm about to leave on a, a long three-month tour singing, but I want to come back. You see, people who, when they understand the kingdom we really live in, the bubble it is, and the kingdom that we have available to us, we go, wow, that, that makes me a new and better person. Why would, I, why would I want that? The other man, we're on the flight. We're getting ready to land. And as we're coming into our landing, he says, can I ask you to do me a favor? Sure. He said, this coming Thursday night, are, are you going to be in Sao Paulo? I said, yeah. He said, could you, do me a, could you do me a favor? Would you be my guest at my Thursday night show? Would, would, you, just, would you mind if, if we could just spend some time together? Would you, would you be? I said, I can't do that. But I'll tell you what, I can do. I'll give you my information and we can, you can call me if you like, whatever. But you see, there's an interest when you realize that, wow, there's a, there is a kingdom that is so good. It's a difference in who we are, and of course, it raises the question, how, how do you experience that kind of change? Verse 19 doesn't leave us without hope, because this is what it says. Here it is, namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. The point is that he was reconciling the world to himself. Now, folks, hear this. The answer is not in, you know, reconstructing our lives and making ourselves different. It's reconciliation. It's a broken relationship made whole when you're reconciled. And then the next text tells us in verse 21 exactly how that takes place. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's a two-way imputation when you impute or place something within something. Here's what happens. Our sin, our sin is imputed to Christ on Calvary's cross. And when we become his followers, his righteousness is imputed to us. And here's the cool thing, folks. From that moment on, regardless how much we screw up whatever, he looks at us and he says, I see you in the righteousness of of my son Jesus Christ that is the gospel that's the good news it's the transformation of life because of his righteousness being placed on us not because we begin to make ourselves more righteous it's his righteousness given to us and let me tell you folks when that happens you will want to live for him you will not find yourself oh good I got the righteousness now I can do whatever no you'll be saying I want to live for you oh struggle yes and you'll slip into the other world not technically you'll be in the kingdom of God but you just like me you'll peer into the kingdom of the world and you'll get so intrigued and say wow but if I could only have that if I could only show people this and it'll again it'll catch us time and time again but deep down inside we say I really want to live for him that's my nature I really want to do that so a change in who we are, but also a change in what we do. I'm not going to teach this part of the text. I taught it with the attention to the believing community last week. 
But it's verses 18 through 20 if you'd like to read it. But the essence is this. In contrast to the kingdom of the world where we live to enjoy our world or to impress our world, when you get in the kingdom of God, you get to live for a whole other reason. It's to impact your world. Christian, you living to impact the world? Are you finding yourself kind of slipping over and saying, well, you know what, I'm just enjoying and impressing my world right now. It's all about my work. It's all about my family. It's all about this. It's all about that. It's all about my career. It's all about my game. It's all about, no, it's not. Impacting. Waking up every day saying, God, I get to live for a whole different reason than I used to live. I live to impact the world. Let me conclude. If you went back to the Revelation text, after Satan is thrown down, after the war in heaven, if you were to read verse 6, you would find out that the woman, who's the church, she has to flee to the wilderness, which is the world. And there it says that the church is fed, nourished, and protected by God through hardship. Nevertheless, fed. Nevertheless, protected. It's a hard life. If you read verse 13, you would read that the dragon, who is Satan, persecutes the woman's, or the woman, the church, persecutes for the endurance of the time between then and when Christ comes back again. See, there's war, and the war has been won technically, but there are plenty of battles. Look at verse 17. Last verse we look at says, so the dragon was enraged with the woman. He went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimonies of Jesus. I'm telling you this, seeker, don't buy the lie. Do not buy the lie that the church is telling in many places. And certainly the world believes it's just the logical thought. And that is, if God is good, then God gives good things to his people. And if God doesn't give good things, then God is not good. Because circumstances should be good, and God should be coming through for all of his people. Folks, it's not the story of the Bible. I don't know where people fabricate that story. Jesus didn't teach it. He said, you're going to have hardship, you're going to have tribulation, but you're going to have joy. He says, you're going to have pain, but you're going to have peace. I mean, he's never, never, never said, oh, come into my family and watch stuff get good. In fact, he said, as to the apostle Paul, Paul is going to have to learn how much he must suffer for my sake. It's part of life, even in the Christian life. But I'll tell you, he turns pain to gain and he turns character or crisis into character, he really does. I just, a week or so ago, was talking to a, a good friend of mine in this church, a young, young family. He's got stage four colon cancer. And he told me with real passion, he said, I'm telling you, I hate what I'm living through. It's the most painful, ugly experience I have ever imagined. It is worse than I could imagine. But he says, I can say with true conviction, I can say this honestly, I wouldn't change it out for anything.
I've met my God in a way I've never seen him. I know him in a way I've never known. Why is that? Why would he say that? I've heard that from so many, many, many people. Why do they say that? It's because they've learned this reality. And the truth is the king has one more move. Oh, yeah, you get the pain. But let me tell you, I've got one more move. And I'm going to make you into somebody you could never be without that pain. And all of a sudden we say, wow, it's really good once you're living in the kingdom of God. But folks, know this. This pain and suffering is ending. It's going to be all gone, like all gone, when Christ comes back. And folks, that is his final move. He comes back, eliminates the dragon, his kingdom. Things are good. So kids, you get the last word. Young people, youth. Are you excelling right now in... In the kingdom of the world, does it feel pretty good? Kind of see a little pouch with a bunch of diamonds in it right now and saying, life is good? Man, the bubble is going to pop. And all I'm going to do is ask you, if you're not willing to turn away from it now, when it pops, would you remember what that old pastor said? There is another kingdom. It's a far better kingdom. But you know what I hurt for is you young people, the kids, not as much maybe as the first group I just addressed, but I have to hurt for you that say the kingdom, the kingdom of this world is not working out too good for me. I feel unpopular. I feel rejected. I go to class every day. I feel inferior to the people around me. I feel very unattractive. I long to know what it would feel to be loved by other people. I'm not talented. I don't get the applause that others around me get, and I just feel like I walk through life every day. And I don't have anything. I'm going to tell you right now, do not believe that lie. If you're in the kingdom of God, you are his royalty and he always wins he always has one more move and that move is on your behalf and therefore you always win so if you forget everything else from this Easter you remember this one thing the king has one more move let's pray Father in heaven, we ask that you would grant to every one of us here, whether in your kingdom or in the kingdom of this world, to see truth now. And for some of us in your kingdom who've been drifting and peering into the kingdom of the world and being enamored by it and given our hearts attention, our money, our time, God, I pray, draw us back right now. Father, I pray that this Easter would be the day that we remember you'll always have another move and you'll turn my pain and you'll turn my crisis into good even on my behalf. Father, I pray for our friends here that are in the seeking process of life just trying to figure this thing out. Oh God, let them see the cross of Calvary. May they see a love that is so sweet, so rich, so big 
that we can't turn away from it, that we'll be just drawn to it until we bend the knee and fall into your kingdom. Allow that even now to happen to many of us here. We ask it in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.